But this morning, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to uh, the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 23. We're almost done with this uh, <clears throat> with this Psalm, and uh, <clears throat> but uh, but again, as we continue to press uh, through this, uh, there are more and more instances of just seeing how the Lord is relating our day-to-day life to those sheep, um, what we uh, appear. Now, obviously, the Lord deals a lot with typology, and I'll, I'll, I'll just make sure that we kind of understand that. Uh, typology is something that the Lord has in Scripture. Um, he doesn't like people messing with typology. Uh, there's a couple of kings that messed with typology, and they paid for it. There's a couple others that uh, uh, messed uh, uh, with uh, things that they shouldn't have. Uh, there's types of uh, Christ. There's types of the Antichrist. Uh, there's types of the believer, and so on and so forth. We see how uh, the Lord views us. He sees men as trees, you know, desiring fruit. But at the same time, he also sees us, um, his believers, as sheep. And uh, we kind of need to keep that in mind. Uh, as we're talking about this, uh, this declaration of the Lord is my shepherd. So we're going to be focusing again on verse five. And in verse five, it says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And uh, I, I, before we kind of get into this, I want to open with a word of prayer, but I want us to really truly think about that last those last two phrases, that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. So let's go ahead and pray. We'll get started and we'll get uh, into the lesson in earnest. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for a time that we can come and listen to your word. I pray, Lord, that uh, this morning our hearts would be very open and receptive to your word. That, Lord, we would uh, have uh, uh, plowed ground, the fallow and hardness would be removed. That, Lord, we would be ready to receive the seed of your word. And, uh, Lord, have that grow in our life. I pray, Lord, that uh, as we look at this and we look at uh, how uh, you view believers as sheep, that, Lord, we would understand the implication that's here, how good and great a shepherd you are, and, Lord, how you care for us in an amazing way. Lord, I pray you just be with me this morning and speak through me, that all of this will be honoring and pleasing unto you, and this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So there we are in verse 5, and we talked uh, quite a bit about thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies, talking again about that provision. And we saw the provision that is there with the green pastures, the still waters, uh, the safety and the comfort that he gives us. And, and we see that it's done in the presence of enemies, meaning that they get to see how great the Lord is. If you think about the nation of Israel, that was one of the nation of Israel's primary, uh, if you will, directives that they were to do. Meaning that as the nation of Israel was to go about living their lives in a very peculiar manner, that it would continually demonstrate to those heathen Gentile nations around them the goodness and the greatness of God. We see a lot of that happening. We see individuals that heard about the the God of Israel, and it struck fear and some terror in them. And what was the end result? Is they 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 actually turned. They were some that clay uh, that, that uh, um, would cleave to the Lord. We see that example with Ruth, how she was brought in even into the the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We see that very clearly that uh, um, others, Rahab, but we see others that were, were there that came along, a whole entire group of people that uh, actually uh, tricked the nation of Israel so that they would be blessed and they wouldn't be wiped out. I mean, all of these things we see happening, and that was one of the primary reasons. They were to be missionaries, if you will. They were to be the priestly nation among all the nations, Pointing, uh, the nations to God. That was their, that was their purpose. But what we find is they obviously failed to do that. But the psalmist here, still understanding that concept, because he is obviously David here writing this, we, we, we see that that failing to, to, um, or excuse me, that failing on the nation of Israel was still something that he was searching for, that it was something that he was doing, it was something that he was wanting to continue that. 
So when we think about that being prepared in the uh, presence of enemies, we're talking about that witness. Now, the same thing is, is, is happening here when we understand this issue with oil. Because I want us to think about it this way. When we're in the presence of the enemy, somehow, some way, those things are going to influence us. We are in the world, right? Uh, we cannot undo that. You go over to the book of James, and James talks about what pure religion is. It says, uh, talking about the fatherless and the widows to care for them, but one of the most important parts that it says there is to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. The world has a huge influence on us. I mean, you, you just, again, you think about how much of the world's humanistic mentality has crept into churches, has crept into our families, has crept into the education systems, and we begin to realize how horrible and how wicked all of this is. But yet we still have that influence that is on us, which is why he's saying that we need to be separate from the world, which is why he's saying we need to have a transformed mind and not be conformed to the thinking of this world, but to very clearly have a thought process that is oriented in Christ. And that's the only way we can do that. We talk about that in the book of Philippians. But what we see here is when he's talking about this next phrase, anointing the head with oil, this is a day-to-day thing. This is a day-to-day thing. And before we get into this concept of connecting it with sheep, I want to connect it to very clearly what we're talking about. In, in, in the, uh, um, uh, um, in, uh, the, the Word of God, the oil is often used as a type of Christ. Or excuse me, a type of the Holy Spirit. So when we think about this, when we see oil, there's often a connection to spiritual things. Now again, not every single situation is that way, alright? Again, typologies, you have to be careful with how you approach them. But we find it very clear that that is the case. So I want us to start over there in the book of Luke. Let's go over to the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4 and in verse 18, we see something that the Lord's saying here. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, I have heard a lot of people take this verse out of context. Now, he's quoting over there in the book of Isaiah this this passage. But what I want us to understand here is that he's not talking about physical things. A lot of people will go around and they will say, well, Jesus Christ was talking about physical things. And when they see poor, they think of people that are in poverty. But God made it very clear who the poor in spirit were, who the poor in spirit are. That is somebody that does not have the riches of Christ. Somebody that is unsaved. When we go through and we see all the rest of it, we are again talking about those that are lost. And he made it very clear. He came to to, to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, John declares, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. I mean, that, it's very clear what his ministry was. His ministry wasn't to go about preaching good to the neighbor wasn't good in the social progressive mentality, the social gospel mentality of let's go feed the homeless and then we've done the work of God. No, we need to preach the gospel to them. They need salvation. Yes, I understand they may need a bowl of soup, but what is more important? I think Esau established what is more important. The things from God or the physical things to feed the flesh. Esau was hated because he despised that gift of God, the birthright. So the end result is what we need to see is a spiritual sense. Now notice here he talks about it. He says the spirit of the Lord. And those that spirit is capitalized. 
That's the Holy Spirit of God. And notice it says, is upon me because he hath anointed me. Now again, we go over there to, to Psalm chapter 23, and in verse 5, thou anointest my head with oil. We see there's an anointment process. When the Holy Spirit's involved, it is often referred to as an anointing, in a similar sense with oil. Let's go over to the book of Acts. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 10. Let's see this description of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 10. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10 in verse 38. <clears throat> Let's back up here a little bit verse to verse 36 for that context. It says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were possessed of the devil, for God was with him. And he makes it very clear here, that he's anointed with the Holy Ghost. Now this, again, we see this anointing taking place, and this should immediately get us to that part where we're thinking about the anointing with oil. There's a lot of oil that is used in Scripture, and there was an anointing process. When a king was going to be in, uh, uh, made king, they anointed him. They anointed Saul. They anointed David. They anointed all of the kings. But what we see very clearly is even David was like, I'm not going to stretch my hand against the anointed one of Israel, talking about Saul. He refused to, to kill him. Why? Because that was not his mission. That was not his goal. That was not what he was uh, sent to do. He was going to be king, but he was going to let God put him in that position rather than him take that position. There's a big, big difference between the two. But what we find very clearly is he wouldn't stretch out his hand against the anointed one. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and then left Saul at one point in time. Because back in the Old Testament, that's what would happen. When you get to the New Testament, there is the sealing because of the the blood, the sacrifice being paid. But what we find here is we find this anointing being related to a spiritual thing, the, the, if you will, the Holy Spirit. Turn over to the book of Second uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter one. Second Corinthians, chapter one. Second <clears throat> Corinthians, chapter one, and in verse twenty-one, it says, "Now he." which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God. God is the one that does the anointing. God is the one that takes care of that. And we know very clearly the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. There is no question about it. Jesus Christ is God. Again, there is no question about it. But as we go down a little bit further here in verse 22, it says, Who hath sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So again, we see an anointing taking place very clearly using the Holy Spirit. This is something that we need to kind of, again, tune ourselves into. And we're going to get into this in just a little bit. So turn over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9 is what we're going to look at. And in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9, he says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now again, he's talking to, about Jesus Christ. And he's talking about that anointing that was received. And we see very clearly that, you know, that happened and that occurred. But what we find is that we as believers can receive this similar anointing. Go over to the book of First John, and this is where it comes into application for us as sheep. The book of First John and chapter 2. First John and chapter 2. 
First John chapter 2 and in verse 26, it says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Now, again, he's talking about false doctrine. He's talking about leading somebody astray, whether it's in the form of leading them into uh, a path of sin or into a false doctrine or a form of idolatry, whatever it may be. It is a seducing spirit. This is why he says we have to make sure that we try every spirit in chapter 4, verse 1. This is an important thing. You've got to know whether that spirit is talking about Christ or is talking about something else. If that spirit's talking about something else, avoid it. It is antichrist. But what we find here in verse uh, uh, 27, he says, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Now this anointing, I want you to notice, he he actually personalizes it and makes it into uh, um, a... a you know, if you will, a gender, a person, the Holy Spirit. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath been hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. What is this anointing? The anointing is the Holy Spirit of God teaching. He is known as the spirit of truth over there in the book of John. That's what Jesus Christ calls him. He calls him the comforter and calls him the spirit of truth. It says that spirit of truth is going to uh, come and is going to teach the disciples. And again, for us thereafter as well. You ever read through the word of God and then the Lord shows you something and you learn about it? You learn something and you're encouraged by it? and you're edified by it, and you're corrected by it, and you're led into a path of righteousness for his name's sake, that is the Holy Spirit working in you. We have to get to to the point of where we are understanding that and receiving it and realizing that when that truth is taught us, that that is God teaching us. People will say, well, I I I just don't feel the presence of God in my life. Well, first and foremost, God is not a feeling. God is not a feeling. You know, you have some pizza late at night, you're going to have a feeling. <laughs> you know, you eat some spicy wings, you're going to have a feeling. <laughs> there's there's going to be a feeling that's definitely there. We're not talking about a physical thing, all right? When you go to the doctor, they ask you how you feel. And some people don't understand that, and they start talking about their emotional state and what they're thinking. We need to differentiate between emotions, thoughts, and feelings. You stub your toe, you have a feeling. You experience loss, you have an emotion, and there are thoughts that are produced in our heart by which we respond. Totally different thing. I can take a pill for the feeling. I can't take a pill to change the way I think. That has to come from the power of the Holy Spirit who teaches us and bases our thought life on truth. That's what has to happen. So here we very clearly see there's a connection with that. So when we start thinking about all of these things and we think about who this Holy Spirit is, and what he's doing in our life, we come back to that verse where in chapter uh, 23, verse 5 of Psalms, it says, Thou anointest my head with oil. He is talking about the thought process. He is talking about the idea and the concept of how we as Christians should be behaving. Now again, when we start talking about the head, we're talking about, we often think of that as a controlling uh, um, uh, factor in our life. Jesus Christ is called the head of the body, the church. There's there's an authority, there's a headship that is there, that's that's necessary. And he tells and he guides us, and that's how we, we think. It's very difficult to think if you have no head. It just is. But yet the head and the heart are tied close together. You cannot separate the two in a spiritual sense. The mind and the heart are together. And there's an influence. And what affects our heart is going to influence how we operate. 
This is why this anointing is very important for the Christian to get a hold of. Now, he says over there in Ephesians chapter 6, he says that we wear the helmet of salvation. That helmet of salvation is on our head for one main reason. The devil will try to get you to think outside of that box of salvation. He will get you to try to doubt it. He will get you to try to think it's not important. He will get you to try to think uh, um, outside of what Jesus Christ has done for us and the calling thereunto, but with the salvation, he'll get you to try to do all of that. And again, it's the thought process. It's a thought process. So when we start thinking about this, we think about what God has done, and we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, as he says over there in, in the book of Ephesians, and as we just read over there uh, about the sealing over in 2 Corinthians, what, what do we wind up understanding here? Th- this anointing, he is talking about the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. He's given that to us. Go over to the book of John. Again, John chapter 14. I just want you to see a couple of things here from the book of John. <clears throat> We've seen some of these passages before, but, but, but I want us to kind of understand this and get this concept so we can understand how the Lord uses this in our day-to-day life. So in, in, in John chapter 14, the, here, here they are at uh, the, uh, the Last Supper. John details a lot more of the Last Supper than any of the other disciples. We've got chapters dedicated to it. Chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17. They're all dedicated to this supper. What he said. And what we see as we go through this, he he starts talking. I want you to jump over there to to verse uh, uh, 16 where he starts talking about this. Uh, Verse 15, again, just for the context. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's real simple. How do we express our love for the Lord? Do what he asks. With love. With love. Verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now this is interesting, and I love how this ties. Because a lot of times we talk about how Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son are connected. The Father and the Son are one. We see a lot of that. But how many times do you see where, where it specifically connects Jesus Christ to the Holy Spirit being the same? Right there. Another comforter. Well, what is he known as? A comforter with a capital C. But he's going to send the comforter with a capital C. <laughs> so we understand this here, that even as Jesus Christ was, was, was giving comfort, the Holy Spirit is also giving comfort because the Holy Spirit was with Christ. He was anointed, right? So in verse 17, it says, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Well, who is dwelling with him at that moment in time? The word of God that was made flesh and dwelt among us. See that connection? So as we go down a little bit further, let's go down to verse 18. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Again, another reference. In verse 26, you jump down a little bit further. He says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Again, here is the purpose and the duty of the Holy Spirit. One of the duties of the Holy Spirit is obviously to glorify Christ and speak of Christ. And he does that through the teaching and the comfort of the word of God in truth. So what do we find here very specifically is we find he teaches in all things. He's teaching in truth. He's bringing things to remembrance. You ever had a situation where you're, I mean, look, let's just be honest. How many of us, if we did not have the Holy Spirit, would not even remember our name in the morning? <laughs> How many of us would find, as we get a little bit more in the uh, aged wisdom category, that we seem to realize that we remember less and less? 
Well, praise God, the Holy Spirit is with us that brings things to remembrance. Going through a difficult time, and you remember what the Lord has done for you, the goodness, that's the Holy Spirit. Going through an affliction and a trial, and the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance a Bible verse that maybe you had thought you forgot, but you had memorized and now is brought back in full remembrance, that's the Holy Spirit. I mean, all of these things we begin to realize here, here, Jesus Christ is saying, I'm going to give you this. And we know that this, this happened. I mean, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and, and, and everyone, you know, it, it was a, it was an amazing thing for them to see. And that's exactly what he was prophesying about. What Jesus Christ was saying was going to happen, was going to occur. Jump over to chapter 15, chapter 15 and in verse 26. It says this, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Again, that is what he does. And he says, and ye shall also, uh, ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Again, this goes back to that being in the presence of the enemies. This, this testimony that's there. Did not the apostles testify in the presence of the enemies, the Pharisees, including the apostle Paul, when he had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he had them start arguing so he could slip out the back door? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, it's pretty impressive to see those things happen and occur in the presence of enemies. And let's get, let's be, let's be very truthful and honest about this. A person without Jesus Christ is at enmity with God. So we're talking about with the lost, with the world. Take a look at chapter 16 and in verse 7 as he continues on with this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe in, uh, not uh, on me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of the, the, this world is judged. Now, now here, here's an interesting thing. Another work of the Holy Spirit is conviction. Conviction, comfort, truth, teaching. He testifies of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling as some people think he is. He's not a frenzy as some people think. What he is, is very thorough in his job. And I will tell you this, if we allow him to work in our life the way that he should, because remember, we are his temple then he is going to be working in us to do the will of the Father, to be a sheep that follows the shepherd. Now, as we start thinking about this, I want us to understand the reason why he David's talking about this over here with this psalm. What, why in the world would you anoint the head of a sheep with oil? What, are you making him a king? You're making him a priest? Okay, that's interesting to think about, but, but let's understand this. The real sense that when we start realizing what they're doing here, we're talking about problems with a sheep. This is why that anointing is there. And I, I, I want us to kind of think about this. So one of the biggest issues with sheep are, are flies. Flies, uh, flies and sheep kind of go hand in hand. So flies will pester the sheep to the point of where you get them worked up into a frenzy and the sheep will start injuring themselves and other sheep to get rid of the flies because they don't want the flies on them. They don't like the flies. The sheep are sensitive. Oh, I'm going to say that again. The sheep are sensitive. <laughs> We get bothered by the smallest little thing, don't we? You ever been in one of those situations where you're laying there asleep, you're getting ready or trying to fall asleep, and inevitably you hear that noise? 
that little buzzing sound, as a mosquito has now entered your room. And you will spend the next hour looking for that thing so you can murder it. (laughs) Assassinate it where it stands, where it flies, wherever it is. You want that thing gone. Why? Because it will sit there and it will buzz your ears. It will dive bomb your ears. It will drive you crazy. It will give you restless night's sleep, won't it? For those of people that have hearing loss, to them, they don't care. <laughs> they just turn off the hearing aid and go to sleep, right? But for, for a person that hears that, guess what happens? They're bothered by it. It becomes a source of annoyance and irritation and aggravation. And it gets a person worked up into a point of where they get into a, a, a thought process of an emotional frenzy because they're getting angry trying to figure out how to solve the problem. Well, the same thing with a sheep and a fly. Because those sheep will try to fly up the nose of a sheep. Or excuse me, those flies will try to go up the nose of it. That would be difficult. But, you know, the fly will try to get up the nose of the sheep. And lay its eggs in there. And you're like, well, this is lovely. Yes, it's going to get even much better. Guess what happens with eggs? They eventually sprout, don't they? There they are in that nice, warm, and moist environment of the mucous membranes of the nostrils, the nasal passage, and they go in there, and they begin to go in there and and eat and and burrow and and, uh, make their nest and so that they can, uh, you know, produce another fly that flies out of the nose of the sheep. You know how irritating that would be if you had a fly up your nose and then it laid a, a maggot up there and that maggot was crawling around inside your skull? Yeah, you're sitting there going, now wait, you just crossed the line. <laughs> well, I want us to understand it. We don't want that to happen, do we? We don't want that at all in our lives. We would, we would be horrible. So here's a, here's a sheep that does that. You know what happens when that occurs? It can actually drive the sheep to insanity that it will actually kill itself. It, if it doesn't do that, it leads to blindness in the sheep. You know what that means? They can't see anything. They can't see the shepherd. They can't see the food, they can't see the water, they can't see the provision, they can't see the rod, they can't see the staff, nothing. So how do you keep these things off of them? So shepherds will use an oil compound that they'll rub on the nose that keeps the flies away. You're like, is that simple? Yeah, that's simple. Um, the Lord has blessed me with a great, doc, uh, a great chiropractor. Um, and many of you know who Dr. Tom is. And, uh, he, he's a man that, uh, just enjoys what he does. And, uh, uh, you know, I consider him a, a good brother and he's just encouraging. Uh, he was telling me a story where he's decided, uh, recently that he was going to go, uh, walk dogs. And he was walking dogs in this uh, on this forested trail. And he was walking dogs in the forested trail, and he's taking care of, you know, just, you know, enjoying nature, enjoying it. And the dogs are going out there and playing. What is a problem with the forest? What lives in the forest? Ticks. Yeah. Guess what happened when he came back with the dogs? The dogs had ticks. So he's like, oh, okay, I got to do something about it. He was even showing me a little video of how he was driving home and he looked down on his leg and guess what was crawling on his leg on his jeans? A tick. So they had to go and they had to pull the ticks off the dog and so on and so forth. So they, they, they got something to put on the dog, a compound of some type, you know, that where they work into the fur, you know, put on there and it, and it repels it, right? Just like, you know, there's stuff that they use for, uh, um, uh, fleas that they'll put on the dog's coat that will repel the fleas. Again, pests, parasites, uh, annoyances, right? So, uh, guess what happened? The ticks would get on the dogs, but they're not going to get in there because they don't like that. They don't like whatever the oil is. They don't like that compound. They don't want anything to do with it. 
So the end result is, is he brings them home and, uh, the, 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 the ticks who now are on the dog but don't want to be on the dog because they don't want to bite the dog, they got to go find something else. So guess what they go find? Another human being. He's at work and he gets, he gets, he said, this is the first time. And if, if, if uh, he, he probably will not have an issue with me telling you this, he'll probably laugh that I used it as a sermon illustration. He got an angry emotion for the first time in his wife from his wife. One of those angry emoticons. And he's like, oh, oh. And she had taken a picture of her neck. Because in the middle of the night while she was sleeping, guess what decided to come and burrow into her neck? Ticks. Ticks. So you know, I mean, we think about this. And it was simple. The, do- the, the tick didn't want to be on the dog, so it went and looked for another victim. Another warm body. And this little heat receptors are like, hey. And of course the dogs are running around the, the house and stuff and, and they're in the bedroom and one of them comes off and it's like, oh, hey, hey, there's a human potty. Tons of blood. Right? And it goes right after it. I say all that to say this, that, that, you know, here are these, 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 this oil that is being used, this anointing, to keep those those flies and those parasites away, away from the sheep, away from the head, away from something that can cause blindness, that can cause them to get worked up in a frenzy or anything of that nature. I mean, and again, we also understand that there's other parasites that can burrow into a sheep's body. So there's the whole idea and the concept of the sheep dip, right? If you've ever seen sheep, you know that there's a trough where there's sheep dip. And the, and there's this one guy who was telling a story about how he got some sheep and he picked up a couple of uh, new lambs to add to his uh, his flock. Well, those the, the, those uh, lambs, he little did he know they actually had a, kind of this disease. It was called scab, and it was a parasite. It was like mites, like scabies or something of that nature. And if you've ever dealt with one of those, yeah, isn't that lovely? So he it started spreading. Not on those the, those lambs, but to the other sheep. So what did he have to do? At great expense and great time, he had to go and get this trough and get this sheep dip with this oil that was in it. And he had to take the sheep and he had to take and put them through this trough, get them in there and work it all into their wool. And you know what? One of the hardest places for the sheep that did not want to have their head like plunged in there and, you know, uh, you know, if you will, baptized in the sheep oil, <laughs> sheep dip, uh, was the head. And a shepherd takes great care when they're doing the sheep dip to get that onto the head. And I want you to think about this. This is what the great shepherd does for us. And the, the, the context here is that this is the Holy Spirit, right? The context is, is that the Lord does this with us. He anoints us to keep those things away. You know what false doctrine does? False doctrine is a parasite. False doctrine is an irritation. False doctrine will work people up into a frenzy that will get other, other Christians and other believers involved in it, right? Because all false doctrine tries to seek and pull people away from the truth. It tries to absorb them. It tries to, if you will, assimilate them into their life. So that they can have dominance over it. Now, when we think about what's going on here, I, I mean, th- this is this is something that the Lord chooses to do for us. This is something that the Lord has promised us. Turn over the book of Luke, Luke chapter eleven. I want you to see this in Luke chapter eleven. <clears throat> Luke chapter eleven. <clears throat> Look at verse thirteen. He says, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? He's talking about good gifts. He's talking about good gifts. 
Now here's the Holy Spirit being given to us. Here's the Holy Spirit that, that's promised to us. Here's the Holy Spirit, if we, if you will, receiving that, we receive that anointing of Him, that we are to do this. It means that this is something that has to be done, if you will, on a daily basis. Now that doesn't mean that you have to ask for the Holy Spirit every single day, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Don't say that I'm saying that, alright? <laughs> We have the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. But what I'm talking about is we have to go through the process of allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he does on a day-to-day basis to keep the flies and the parasites and the things of sin, false doctrine, or other issues that will afflict us in our life away. We have to have that anointing. We have to have that constant continual process of our thoughts in check. So you know what winds up happening here as we look at this? We see the Lord working, the Holy Spirit working in our life. You know what happens on a day-to-day basis with this anointing? Is he convicts us of where we need conviction. Doesn't he? I mean, come on. When we're doing something that we know we're not supposed to be doing... And the naughtiness of our heart comes in. Isn't the Holy Spirit there to say, you ought not be doing that? You you need to stop that? And all of a sudden we get, you know, all these verses or sermons or whatever just instantly downloaded into us in an instant. And we have a choice, right? Are we going to continue to do what is wrong and ignore and act like a fool against the the Holy Spirit of God? Or are we going to heed and yield and allow that anointing to happen in our life? The actual work of the Holy Spirit in us. To teach us. To teach us. I've had so many people say, well, I just don't know the Bible. Then learn it. Then learn it. I mean, we learn how to walk, right? We learn how to talk, or at least we try. We try to learn to listen. Some of us still struggle with that. (laughs) We learn to feed ourselves for a majority of it. I mean, we're all capable of feeding ourselves. We don't need somebody there to chop up our steak for us and hand feed it to us, do we? I mean, again... If we were, if I was to put down a pound of bacon that was freshly cooked, I think we would all know what to do with it. Right? Then why in the world can't we learn how to have the Holy Spirit speak to us and teach us truth? To instruct us. To lead us into that path of righteousness. To lead us where the good food is. To lead us where the still waters are. All of these things, we find that this is the work of the Lord in our life. And when I talk about the Lord, I'm talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is doing all of this work in us for this purpose. And and look at what the declaration is afterwards. Look at the last part of the verse, going back over to Psalm 23. He says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. When's the last time we just stopped and instead of praying for everything that we want, that we just stopped and prayed God, prayed to God and praised Him and gave Him thanks for what we have? Well, let's just think about that. I mean, okay, first, you know, and I'm not trying to slight it, but we start off with the very first thing, is that we get to boldly approach the throne of grace because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the work on the cross and the power of his resurrection. Come on. We're talking with the creator. We're talking with the creator. Again, think about this concept. Think about this concept just for a moment. How many times does he think about you in a moment? And how many times do we think about him every minute? If he thinks about us a million times per second, just assume that, okay? Because it says it's innumerable. It cannot be numbered. 
And as individually, as he's thinking about me, he's thinking about everyone else. He's thinking about Dale, he's thinking about Bob, he's thinking about Mike, he's thinking about Josh, he's thinking about Leslie, he's thinking about Yet, he's thinking about Sharon, he's thinking about, I mean, he's thinking about all of us at the same time with innumerable thoughts. And we only have to think about him. (laughs) When's the last time we praised him for that? And again, we begin to realize this. I mean, we see here that this is, this is the, the, the purpose of why he does these things. We just, we, we just get to sit back and as, as Paul said, in whatsoever state I am, I've learned to be content. What was he, he was taught. Be thankful for what we have. Be thankful for what is given. Be thankful that we have abilities. Be thankful that we can do what God tells us to do. Be thankful for all of those things. And there's the power of the Lord in our life. Now here we are, you know, we're we're getting close to the end of this chapter and getting close to the end of this study. And now he's talking about the importance of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now look, you know, we understand the importance of Jesus Christ when it comes to salvation. But the importance of God in our life doesn't end there. God is always working in us. If we are allowing him to. But sometimes we can be that sheep that goes astray, right? Now again, you have Isaiah over there that says, all we like sheep have gone astray. People go astray, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We left him. We abandoned him. As, as Paul talks about, what happened? Sin slew him. The commandment came, and what happened? He says, sin revived, and what did he say? I died. He was spiritually dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. And then Jesus Christ comes along, and we, we, we receive that salvation. We receive, uh, uh, that forgiveness of sins. We receive that eternal life that he's promised to us. We receive those things. And now he wants to continue working in that life. I mean, all of these things that we see here, none of these benefits are to anybody that has not received Jesus Christ as their savior. Now again, the unsaved have innumerable blessings that they can praise God for. Why? Because it rains on the, the, the wicked and the righteous equally, right? They have life just the same. They receive fruit from their labor just the same. There are certain principles that God's put out there that are for all mankind, but there are certain principles that are for believers that have received Jesus Christ. Just like there were certain promises for Israel, there are certain promises for us as believers. Now, again, let's not get so high-minded into ourselves to think that we're more of ourselves than we ought to, right? But let's understand that we have a lot to give God praise for. So when we look at that verse and it says, my cup runneth over, we go over there and we think about all of those things that he talks about, how how uh, um, when we give those uh, that God gives back to us, uh, um, and he talks about that cup that is, you know, pressed down above measure. It flows over all of those things into our life. Now, again, I want to make it very clear here. Yes, things, you know, you know, as, as far as financial, God has an expectation of that. But I will tell you this, it goes far beyond physical provision of finance. We should be giving of what the Lord gave us with the gifts that we have. First uh, Corinthians makes that very clear. He makes it very clear in chapter 12 where he says about uh, he's going to uh, show the best gift. And the best gift goes into 1 Corinthians 13 where she's talking about charity. Charity. Charity, again. That's a huge, huge word. It goes beyond just simple love. It goes beyond any of that. It goes into something that is far greater than I think a lot of Christians ever understand. And the necessity and the need for it. And then he goes into chapter 14 where he starts talking about gifts. 
And he talks about things like tongues. And he says, you know what? Tongues edify that person. But you know what? The prophecies, that edify someone else. Now, not talking about prophecies as we would think, but prophecies as God thinks, which is prophesying the things of the word of God, truth, and the teaching, the doctrines, the disciplines, all of those principles that are there. That's part of the prophecy. So when we realize that, and here we are as Christians, we can say, my cup runs over. If you are a believer here today, your cup is overflowing. Well, I don't have this and I don't have... Who cares? It's all going to burn anyways. But you have you have the abundant riches of Jesus Christ. Eternal life. Man, forgiveness of sins. You know how important that is? We have a hard time forgiving each other. And God forgives us? Ah, of all the horrible things that we've done to him? (laughs) And there it is. Our cup runs over. There's rest. There's comfort knowing that. There's so so much peace that comes by just sitting back and, and looking at how much we have been given of God. So what we need to do is we need to focus on letting the Holy Spirit work in our life. He's anointed us. Let's let him do the work. Keep the annoyances, the flies, the parasites, sin, unspotted from the world, away from us as sheep. Next week we'll we'll get into verse 6, which is again the final part of this uh, chapter. Not sure how we'll get it, because we see very clearly, he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We can spend a lot of time talking about the mercy and the goodness of God, can't we? Yeah. Each one of those we could probably spend about a good week on. You're like, what? (laughs) But I want us to think about that. I want us to contemplate that as we begin to move into this next chapter. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer, and we'll prepare ourselves for the 11 o'clock service. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you've promised to us and what you've given to us. Lord, I thank you for your work of the Holy Spirit in our life. I pray, Lord, that we would not... Uh, be dismissive of it, but Lord, we would be very receptive and receive that he would work in our hearts and our minds. Again, Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for us. I thank you for the teaching. I pray, Lord, that we would just have ears to listen for this 11 o'clock service. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.